Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. The dog has decided that I he's going to sit in my lap, so we'll see how this goes. It's very cute. It's very cute. Um, how, how's your week been? It's very good. Yeah. I don't know. You've caught me off guard with this question, but, uh, yeah, it's going well. You know, the summer is, is, is edging on here, but some cool stuff with the local club that we're sort of putting on and different routes, uh, racing is sort of done. So that's sort of weird for me right now. I don't really have anything on the schedule. I still haven't put anything. So sort of back to running and some strength. And so that's been fun doing more of that and getting back, although a little, soar from the uh, running for sure. Yes. And props to all of the consummate athlete uh, crew who did Leadville this past weekend. I think you had a couple finishers in there, which is very yeah, exciting. really great. I would say better than finishers. I think they, they did great. They executed their plan. And yeah, I think even came in a little ahead of, of sort of the, the scheduled time. So really like that. And then a one or two at the big red gravel run. Uh, and then I guess also mountain bike worlds were this weekend as well. So we had lots of races. We were watching the tickers and trying to watch any video that was around. Uh, the Leadville stuff was pretty good. Just watching the stories on their, uh, Instagram accounts was sort of fun to watch. And, um, I guess our guest's teammate today, uh, he did very well. Yes. Alexi Vermeulen got second and we should actually link to maybe his episode. We did a while back with him. Uh, we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, obviously we, we love Alexi mainly because of uh, Sir Willie, his dachshund, who is now good friends with DW. Uh, but we also like him for, you know, him. Uh, and he had a really, I, I really liked our episode we did with him way back. So mm-hmm. we'll definitely link mm-hmm. to that. But today we are all about uh, really the idea of pivoting and kind of constantly assessing what you're doing and sort of always looking for the next thing on the horizon and like what's going to be exciting, which means we have Ashton Lambie on the podcast. I'm super excited about this. We had such a good chat. So Ashton, if you don't know him already, uh, we'll link to the New York Times article about him that came out in, I think, February. It's a fantastic article. Um, but Ashton was track world champion. Uh, he was the first person to go sub four for the 4K individual pursuit. Um, super, super fast on the track, really, really strong on the track, actually had more of a gravel randoneering background. And then after hitting that four minute uh, or sub four minute and the world championship, he actually pivoted back to gravel. He did the lifetime series last year, kind of dabbled back in gravel. Uh, and now he's actually into sailing. Um, although to be clear, still pedaling, uh, we talk about how that works, but he's, uh, working towards the America's Cup race 2024. So he's actually moved from Texas to Spain uh, to prepare with the team for the next like eight, 15 months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you think about things you can do with your cycling background and, and skills, and as you say, pivoting the, I had no idea we stayed with uh, the team, I guess the jukebox team last year at big sugar. And so we got to know Ashton then, and, and I had no idea about this, you know, cycling, you know, basically a stationary bicycle on a boat <laughs> to move it around. Yeah. It's very weird. And we get into the how and why that possibly works. Cause it doesn't like, I'm, I think what you picture is like the duck boat or like the little paddle, paddle boats, boat. like yeah. swan boat. Yeah. Uh, it is not that, to be clear. Um, you're really just moving like the boom of the sail as fast as possible. Uh, and it takes a ton of power to do that. So they actually realize leg strength is better than uh, pushing it by hand or hmm. like hand cranking. Right. So that's actually why they do it, because every second you can get like two into the wind matters. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Just a whole other. And so this is really the consummate athlete. Uh, concept, I guess, right, is that you're bringing these skills together, you're trying new things. I'm sure he's meeting all sorts of different people uh, from that whole other world. Uh, Very, very neat. Yeah. Also, what I love about sailing is like, it's all very secretive. So I mean, it took months for Ashton to be able to announce that he was doing this. But also, like, he still can't talk about who his teammates are and like what sports they're from. So I pry a little bit into it. But uh, it's it's a really funny conversation. Uh, But yeah, and I mean, we also just have to shout out and we do talk about it. Uh, His wife, Christina Bird, is an astronaut just putting that out there like you can't get a like 
better couple doing really cool stuff. Uh, so yeah, I, I think also this and also is, a, pa- a cyclist as well. Yes, yeah, also yeah. a super good. Cyclist. I don't know that she gets a chance to pedal on the spaceship. I don't think they're powering it with with. They are uh, not pedal powering power. that with pedals. Uh, but yes, I actually used to race against her in collegiate. So it's sort of a funny small world. And okay, the other reason we're excited about Ashton is we do get in a very long conversation at the end about our favorite Gooder sunglasses. And of course, this episode is brought to you by Gooder sunglasses. That's right. I use the banana, I can always forget the name, but the banana flavored uh, sunglasses, if you will. They yes. actually don't taste like banana, but they look very banana and they're yellow, uh, which helps when it's a little, you know, it's rainy. It's maybe thunderstormy. We're getting a lot of that weather here as we get into the, the hot August nights. Uh, and so I found them very, very performance enhancing just from the mood standpoint, just to brighten things up and certainly I think brighten some of the contours on those less bright days. Uh, to be clear, I was going to say don't lick the glasses because you did just mention banana flavored. But you know what? Pro tip, lick the glasses. Okay. Uh, this is like a triathlete thing when it's raining or like with the goggles. You would okay. often like spit in your goggles I to avoid them steaming up. I don't know if that's endorsed up. or not, but I you could try it. I swear it works. Try yeah, it. it's free. It's gross, but it's free. Uh, yeah, I've absolutely been loving the gooders just for on and off the run and bike. I like the more mirrored um, polarized bike ones, and I'm blanking on the name. They all have hilarious names. Uh, I think the pink ones are extreme dumpster diving, which is why I ordered them, I believe. Yeah, Uh, And And they're great, too. They're a little rose-colored. So, again, I think they brighten the mood. I was going to say, I like seeing life through rose-colored glasses. Uh, They also do – so, they have casual glasses that we use for driving, which are polarized, uh, which are great. And, I mean, I think Gooder has this – we talk about this with Ashton. Gooder has this kind of vibe of being very colorful, very bright, but – Honestly, all of their glasses are available in like black on black or like black and tortoise shell. And that tends to be my preference as my little little gothy all black heart loves. Uh, so you can get very basic ones for just really great prices. They start at 25 bucks. I think the cycling ones are still like mm-hmm. under 45, mm-hmm. which is fantastic for cycling glasses, especially if you're like me and you often lose, scratch, beat up, ding. Uh, otherwise, just do not take very good care That's of your right. glasses. That's right. And I am seeing them at a lot of our local shops here in Canada. We do have a, a code, of course, you could order them online through Gooder. Um, do you want to share that link? I do. Yes, it's Gooder. So it's G-O-O-D-R dot com backslash consummate. So, I mean, honestly, even if you're going to buy them in store, do us a solid head to that link, see all of our favorite ones, and then head to the store and buy them. Uh, so yeah, Gooder, which again, G-O-O-D-R dot com backslash consummate. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, and it does get you free shipping in the US. Uh, sadly, not in Canada just yet, but we're they're working on it. They're doing. They're now shipping to Canada, which is like a huge bonus. Um, but yes, definitely check them out. Uh, and with that, let's get into this episode with Ashton Lambie. Enjoy. Thanks for reaching out. This is uh yeah good good idea, good timing. Yeah, good to hear from you. No, super good to hear from you. How's Barcelona? How's Spain? How's life? Barcelona is sick. Uh, it's been super busy um just with with the sailing and everything um Mm -hmm. but i've had time to get settled in i've got a great little spot here the riding has been phenomenal the weather's been great the food's really good like man i i cannot complain it's been a a pretty uh busy past few weeks but i feel like i'm really starting to get settled and get in the groove between like working on the boat and training and everything yeah, yeah. How has the like transition to living in Spain been? I mean, that's like uh, I'm just jumping. I'm jumping right in here because like holy crap, yeah. it's a that's a big shift from uh, Houston, Texas to uh, Barcelona. It is. Um, there's parts of it. <clears throat> there's parts of it that are good, and there's parts of it that are hard. Um, I mean, overall, huge net positive. Um, yeah, it yeah. is a much smaller town. Like it's everything is designed to be like biked to, walked to, or there's like public transit all over the place. And mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. Um, it's it's interesting because in a lot of ways, like I feel like the years um, I spent racing track with the national team um, really prepped me for this. Where it was like, oh, you land in a place um we might have like a little stovetop or like someplace to cook and i would have my go-to list of foods that i would try to go get like most most places you could go to would have 
rice and eggs and beans and uh, bread and meat and cheese, like <laughs> yogurt and granola. Like those are my three go-to meals. And so it was like, there's this sort of routine of like, oh, you're in a foreign country. This is just what you go do. Um, and so that in that sense, it was pretty easy because um, it's just like traveling and racing to any other time we've done it. I mean, you've done it before too. Yeah, um, except you're doing it for a pretty long stretch of time. Ahead exactly. <laughs> and that that's what's made it a little tougher. It's like, you know, now instead of like, oh, well, I'm here for two weeks, I'm going to just like use Wi-Fi and maybe a couple of days I'm going to use my travel data plan. It's like, oh, I should probably look into buying a SIM card. Like, I don't know what that entails, but yeah, like yeah. I've been trying to figure it out. Um, so there's like, there's longer term things like that. And then like learning how to send and receive mail is like something different. Yeah. Yeah. Like making those decisions of like, oh, am I going to get a public transit card? Like, do I use it often enough? Mm -hmm. um, because it is like over the course of a year, a year and a half, you, you develop your routines and your, you know, that's, that's a long amount of time to be uh, like living somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. so kind of like, I was gonna say, people uh people don't think about these little things but i remember like even moving from the u.s to canada postal system is different the banks are different like yeah the phone system yeah. is different like it's these minor things that seem like they shouldn't be a big deal or like you just kind of took for granted living in the u.s but then you get over here and you're like oh right yeah are... everything's closed on sundays here yeah like <laughs> a lot of the restaurants are closed between like 3 and 6 p.m yeah um so there's like there's like little cultural things like that like meal times are different store like business hours are different um and so yeah i mean those kind of shifts have been have been tough but i feel like i am getting uh getting more settled in too mm -hmm. yeah yeah and you mentioned the like bike ability walk ability has that changed your like daily routines i know for me whenever i was over there like it changed I was walking to get all my groceries. I would just bring a backpack. And so my grocery shops was, you know, whatever I could hold in the backpack is what yeah. I got for groceries. I, the apartment that I'm staying in while I'm here, um, has one of those like little carts that you carry with you. Oh, nice. I use that every time I go get groceries and it's sick and I love it. And, uh, yeah, it's the same thing. I walk, you know, six minutes to the grocery store because and it's one thing I've never considered because like in Houston, uh, I feel like almost everything is, is quite a ways to walk to. Um, mm -hmm. Like for me to walk to the grocery store would probably be like 20 or 30 minutes, but it's, you know, a five or a 10 minute bike ride versus mm -hmm. here. If I walk to the grocery store, it's like six minutes. If I ride my bike, it's arguably not that faster because everyone's walking. And then I also have to deal with locking my bike up somewhere. Yeah. And so it changes that flow and that dynamic a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then have you, have you done anything in your apartment to make it feel more like home? Are there any things that you like brought over that like you had to have as far as like, I don't know if it's like a pillow or a blanket or anything like that, that you've uh, tried to make it your own yet? Um, A little bit. Uh, Chris actually sent me with some framed photos of us. Um, and then like a list of all the places we've been together. And so I love that. I thought that was, really cute they're on the table in the living room and i really enjoy that um so like i walk past them every day it's it's kind of corny and kind of cute but it like man it makes such a big difference like mm -hmm. um because she's not able to be over here and join me but um yeah so those are those are probably two of the things uh i went like the apartment that i'm staying in is fully furnished uh so that was actually great and mm -hmm. super easy you know where it's like you land there's towels, there's silverware, there's dishware, uh, there's dish soap, like all these, again, all these little things that if you're going to be in a place for a year and it has a dishwasher, you have to go buy dish tabs and you have to make sure that they're not laundry detergent tabs because that's, you know, a separate thing and all the labels are in Spanish. So it's like a little bit of a learning curve mm -hmm. for that kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Learning how to use a washing machine when the entire thing is in Spanish. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so all those, uh, I, I, the picture frames are something I got from, you know, brought from home. Um, and then just like 
going and buying nicer bed sheets and towels made it feel a little bit more homely. Yeah. Um, yeah, those little things yeah. really do make a difference. Man, they really do. It makes like, you know, you sleep every day. Uh, mm-hmm. And I mean, most days uh, yeah, yeah. makes a big difference. Yeah. 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 And I think all of that goes into being able to perform at your best, especially when you are over there in order to perform at your best. Like it, it makes sense to not neglect those like little details. And that's sort of why I want to touch on those, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay, before we get into like what exactly you're doing in Spain, I wanted to like back way up because, you know, our podcast listeners have not all met you or heard of you, even though I feel like they should have at this point. <laughs> Let's just like hit me with like the quick athletic bio. And at this point, I realized like the quick athletic bio is like 10 minutes, but hit me with like Whoa. elevator bio. <laughs> um. Basically, I started off racing ultra distance um, through my basically teens to mid twenties. Um, I did a little bit of road racing, most mostly self supported ultra distance racing, um, and then I found track cycling. Had a lot of success with that. Um, didn't make it to the Olympics with team pursuit, but excelled in the individual pursuit on the track, which is a four kilometer standing start. Um, where I got the world record four times, handful of national championships, uh, world championship, one world championship, and was the first person to ride that discipline in under four minutes. When I started, it was the world record was four ten. Um, yeah, which is crazy. I was watching worlds uh, yesterday, and like. A 410, which was the world record in 2018, uh, wouldn't have even gotten you a top eight finish at this year's world championship. So that just shows how much the sport's progressed in the last few Mm -hmm. years. Yeah. 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 And I mean, we all know that example from running. Roger Bannister is the first person to go sub four in the mile. And then it was like within the year, like five other people had had cracked it. So yeah crazy it's not just like being the person to go sub for there's a huge mental thing that happens when you're that person that says like i think we can go sub four so first of all can we just like contextualize what like power like roughly what power that looks like for sub four because i don't think people really understand quite like how hard that is yeah it was so the way it worked out was probably about um 8 850 for like the first 30 seconds and then you settled into like I settled into like 470 or 480 after that for the remaining three and a half minutes okay and do you sprint at the finish of that how does that look um gosh I wish I could uh no. <laughs> I I'm usually pretty smoked by that point um like I I have gotten better progressively over the years of having a better pacing strategy and being able to like not drop off so dramatically in my last kilometer. Um, I definitely did that when I started, like my second kilometer was my fastest. My fourth kilometer was my slowest. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually it's like trying to hit that high speed, you know, quickly in the race as quickly as possible without burning too many matches, holding that, and then holding it for as long as possible and not letting it fall off. That's that's pretty much the goal. Mm-hmm. Now, what does the mental game look like for that? Like, because I, I feel like the you'd have to have an element of like, why not me? Or like, why shouldn't it be me to go sub four? But there also has to be so many questions in your mind of like, can anyone go sub four? So for how, sure. do you even, how do you even get to that start line and think like, I'm doing it? Um, I mean... I think there's a lot of romanticism around cycling in general, but I also kind of like to think about the individual pursuit and the team pursuit as well as like just a fancy math problem, like to some extent. Um, And obviously there's like, there's technique, um, there's skill, there's experience and discipline involved in all that stuff. But it's also like, well, if you have this CDA, if the air pressure is this and you put out this many Watts, you're going to go this fast. Like, that's a very repeatable uh, like solution and problem that you get. And if you, if you want to go a certain speed and you're like, well, my CDA is this, 
this is what I can expect the air pressure to be on that day. And this is the watts I can produce. And those two numbers don't match up. The speed you can go and the speed you want to go, like, oh, it's probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so if the speed you want to go is like within that realm of what is possible, then it's like, oh, yeah, the math adds up. Like, I could really do this. Yeah. And I've I've had races work out the same way in, in Team Pursuit that um, I raced and worked with uh, a handful of other guys that, you know, we we did that. And we got a time that was way better than we'd gotten before, but like the math worked out and it happened. We got that time. Like we, we believed we could do it because like we saw that it was possible through, through the numbers. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Mentioning the team pursuit is super interesting because like the, the sub four individual is a very individual effort team pursuit you don't get more team oriented, I think, than team pursuit. You are literally like millimeters from the other person's tire. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, ha- what's, what's the difference between those? Which one's harder for you? Gosh, that's tough. Um, I mean, they're hard in different ways, which I realize is like such a soft answer to that question. Um, We'll allow it. We'll like, allow it. The team pursuit is so dynamic and like you go in with a game plan and the game plan doesn't always work out. And so you have to be able to like make those calls on the fly. Um, and sometimes that communication can make it really good and really fun to be a part of. Um, and sometimes that communication can make it really difficult where, you know, you're trying to to do something or like thinking that someone else is going to do something and that's not how they do it. And you have to react and adapt to that very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also just like, it's faster. Um, and I do think it's more fun. Like I, I really enjoy the team pursuit. Yeah. I've um, heard so many people say like the celebrating with your like four or three teammates is so much more fun. Like when you win something than it is when you win something individually. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Which I mean makes um, sense given your current endeavor, but does not quite make sense given uh how you started the season this year with the Flint Hills Ultra. So you went back to the off-road after getting the the sub four. Uh first of all, like let's quick backtrack, like why why you you know finished the track or you got the record and then like suddenly you're you're in the lifetime series racing two hundred milers. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like you see pretty often that athletes just kind of like continue on in the sport and continue to rack up more Olympic medals or world championships and, um, just keep doing it and like, not to, not to diminish that. Like, that's crazy impressive to have a career that's that's that long and that consistent. Um, but I also you know, didn't want to fall into that trap of just doing it and continuing to do it because like, that's what I had been doing. Um, okay. I think there were other things that I wanted to do that really interested me. Like I, while I was racing track and focusing on that pretty heavily for, you know, four years or so, um, I continued to race gravel because I love doing it. And I love the community. I love seeing all the courses um i like riding really long distances like i think it's super fun and so i would try to to do it when it fit in with my training um but i also like achieved i had you know a unique uh career satisfaction of like getting the sub for getting the world record back and winning world championships all in one year and i knew that all of those things were gonna fall at some point like someone else was gonna break the record I wouldn't be world champion the next year if I gave that up. And I was like, that's okay. I did it. Like, I'm good, man. I got other stuff I want to, I want to focus on and go do. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, And I think one thing you talked about in the New York times article that I'll, I'll link in the show notes for this. You did talk about the fact that like you, and this is sort of unrelated, but kind of related, like you're not a traditional track cyclist build. And I actually think that's what makes you so inspiring and so like aspirational is like if you look Aww. at you 
you're not like the normal like vision of a track cyclist. But I think you showed that you don't have to be in order to like excel. And we see that all the time in the women's field, but you don't actually see it that often in the men's yeah. field, which I think is why we have a lot yeah. of men's body dysmorphia in cycling. Yeah, yeah, I think you're very right. Yes. <laughs> um, and and yeah, I mean, that's that's track cycling. Like, I think there are a lot of endurance track cyclists that don't focus primarily on endurance track. And it's sort of like, they'll sharpen up for it, you know, in uh, as it gets close, but most of the time they would ride road or do world tour or crits or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I don't think there's a lot of endurance track cyclists that that's like their specialty and that's all they do. Mm-hmm. Um, now, yeah. Did you and, ever have moments on the track where you were like, Oh geez, I'm not tall enough or like, not, not like this, not like this. So I can't do it. Or have you always looked at that as like, I'm going to make this work. No, I've always looked at it. Like I'm going to make it work. I mean, I'm yeah. not, uh, I'm don't have like the support of a world tour team, but I also have the bandwidth to, focus every single day on track cycling instead of like trying to balance it with these other big goals I have like w- world world tour on the, on the road or racing crits or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So we did, you know, we, we said goodbye, goodbye for now to the track We're we're on the, the gravel and then Flint Hills ultra comes around a thousand miles, uh, heading into unbound, uh, What's the difference between racing for four minutes versus for uh, more than four days straight? Like Gosh. mentally, how does how do these it, two things like stand up? I don't know, man. I mean, like, I think it's a similar like total mood profile of a race. It just depends on whether you want it to like last for a very short period of time and have that that internal struggle last, you know. 30 seconds but it's like really tough or you want to have it last like an entire day and it's just like kind of a bummer for the whole day so i don't (laughs) you know what i mean like yep would you rather have like a a thousand paper cuts or just like one huge gash through your leg i don't know okay so you pick different things for everybody you picked the thousand paper cuts this june um yeah 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 how was it? And I, especially like, especially the paper cutty parts, like how do you talk yourself out of a down moment when you're, you know, 300 miles into a thousand of them? Well, I think it was a really, uh, like it, I, and I enjoy talking about it now because I've actually like had much more time to reflect on it than right after the race. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was hard. Like, yeah, it was the longest race I've ever done. Um, and I think it's a unique distance where it's like longer than, you know, the, the longest race I'd done without sleeping was 430 miles and that was 24 hours. And so it's like substantially longer than that. And it's like the, the total magnitude of that. Um, I don't think I really had a sense of it until I got into it of because actually the the hardest part for me was the first day um when i the way i had the way i did the course was that i was going to like sleep at a, a bnb or somebody's house or a hotel um for four nights and so i didn't bring any camping gear or anything like that um so i wasn't in a situation where if i got tired i could just like lay down and nap for 20 minutes. Like I would just lay down in my kit and nap for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Like that was, that was my option. And so the first day was, uh, um, the longest one, it was 270 miles and I'd had some other minor delays, um, unexpected delays. Did, can I tell the story about Rob? Have you heard about this? Please. Yes. No, tell us. Enlighten us. Um, yeah, so Rob Finnegan is a really, really good friend, um, fellow Lincolnite, and absolutely like very accomplished ultra distance cyclist. Um, I mean, he's ridden I, about every ultra distance gravel race there is. Uh, you know, Unbound XL, uh, the Gravel World's Long Voyage. Um, he's 
like I was talking with him before the race because I was nervous about like, am I taking the right stuff? And he's just like the nicest guy in the world. Um, <laughs> and so we were probably like, uh, like maybe four or five hours into the first day, maybe longer. I can't remember, but I get a call from a Lawrence, Kansas number and it was Rob's uh, sister-in-law. And she was like, Hey, I, by this point I was off the front of the race by myself. I maybe a half hour, 45 minutes in front of Rob, something like that. And um, she was like, hey, are you with Rob? And I was like, I'm not. And she was like, can you please go find him? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I can. Like, what's up? And she's like, his dog is not doing very well. And I was like, oh. And I was thinking, you know, I was like, man, I love our cats. Like, if if something happened to one of our cats, like I would, I would have done the same thing and I would have wanted someone else to do the same thing for me. And so I just took a little break on the side of the road and waited for him. Um, you know, stayed with him while he called his sister and or sister-in-law and then rode with him to, uh, the interstate where he got picked up and went and said bye to his dog. Um, and, then came back on course the next day and finished. Um, but oh. that that whole that whole expedition wouldn't change a thing. It did, you know, move my finish time about an hour later uh, than I thought on the longest day. And so instead of finishing at like a cushy, you know, like midnight, um, and being able to hit one of my later food stops that was open like not until not 24 hours um i like didn't i rolled through a town uh there was no gas station or anything like that and and it it was like i rolled past and then the bnb that i was going to stay at was also when i booked it it was listed as in the town and instead it was eight miles further along the course and you're like oh eight miles isn't oh. that far but it's 1 a.m i missed a food stop and I just sat down in the ditch and I had to call Chris and I was like, I was like, dude, this is day one. Like I have, <laughs> I have like 800 miles left. Like, how am I going to make this? Like, how far is it until my first stop? I just need a little sleep. Um, and so she like, you know, she hopped on and looked at the map a little bit um, and it helped me out. And um yeah, it was super, super helpful. Like I absolutely, the, the entire race, she was like the best mission control specialist that I could have ever asked for as far as like talking me out of those tough spots, like helping me figure out, you know, oh, this is where you, you know, this is where your food stop is. This is where you should stock up, like all this kind of stuff. Um, so man, yeah, that was the lowest spot was like, cause that's the other thing is I kind of have a general rule of, um, during long events like that, I never sit down because it's so easy to lose time when you're sitting down. And oh, you even, and me have that rule in common. That's yeah. Like my number one. Yep. Yeah. You get this because you do ultra oh, yeah. runs. Like any, <laughs> any forward progress is so much faster than just stopping. Like stopping absolutely kills you. And then it's like overcoming that inertia to get going again is yep. so hard. So yeah. I sat down. Like, I know that you appreciate how, how absolutely cracked I was <laughs> like, <laughs> down in the ditch. I'm sure you've had similar moments, yep. but yeah, that was, so that was the hardest part for me because after that, I mean, so that day ended up being like almost 275 miles. Um, and there were like some other parts where I was like, you know, walking in the mud or whatever, but it was like just the enormity of that whole race was was really really caught to me right at that moment yeah mm -hmm. okay and we have to talk about the practicality i love that you're old school and still use what is it bag balm like what's your talk about your saddle sore situation and how you avoid them oh my gosh yes i do love bag balm um yeah bag balm i actually got turned on to that from when i was doing randoneering in my early 20s a lot of the guys used that um, mm -hmm. it works. It also works really well with Brooks saddles because like sometimes it kind of, it's like quite heavy. And so yeah. it can like soak through your shorts. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it like seasons the leather quite nicely. Yes. Um, and I will add, some that, guys I will, will definitely say the saddle makers are all going to be like, oh, just cringing when they hear that, because I think technically that voids the Brooks warranty. But I have heard from sure. so many people that it yeah. is like the best way to break in a Brooks saddle. <laughs> yeah. The other reason I really like it is that it's antiseptic. Yeah. So like, I, I mean, you're never, you, I, I don't want to say never, but I've never had a saddle sword get infected. I wouldn't, I don't have a ton of saddle stores. I get them occasionally. And I think that especially for me was so important when it's like, oh, you're riding, you know, 15 hours a day and maybe doing laundry. Like if you're putting on a pair of dirty bib shorts that you rode for 15 hours a day before, like you want some, some knowledge that like something in there is, is helping you not get infected Mm -hmm. yes exactly oh man yeah so good okay so we've kind of talked through that but then there's this huge left-hander that happens earlier in the year and like becomes reality now suddenly you're on a sailing team which at first glance makes less than no sense but please explain how you end up on a sailing team and what this actually looks like yeah, so I uh, also joined the American Magic Sailing Team, which is the team, um, the U.S. team that will participate in the 37th America's Cup. Um, the America's Cup is like the Olympics Tour de France of sailing. Um, it's like the biggest race in sailing that happens every four years. It's been happening since like the 1850s. So it's also the longest running sailing or any it's the longest running sporting event in the history of sports, which is crazy. So what I'm hearing is Netflix will definitely be making a drive to survive style documentary about it at some point in the near future. That just seems inevitable at this point. I think so. With the number they're they're banging out, I think we got a pretty good chance. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if not, then someone's going to do it. Yeah, someone's going to do it. Exactly. <laughs> And was it New Zealand that was the first team to start using bikes back in like, what, 2016, I want to say? I'm probably getting that they slightly botched, but... Yeah, no, you're right. Um, traditionally, boats have used hand crank systems. Um, and then, yeah, New Zealand was the first team to try cyclers, which is what we are and what my job is now, um, in the 2016 cup and turns out you can produce a lot more power with your legs than you can with your hands. And right. so now we're not paddling the boat. We're turning the sail, which is very important correct. from a wind perspective. Yes. We, um, we basically charge up a system that, that allows the sailors, um, or we would call the afterguard to control the boat. Um, and like, what we would call trim the sails. So like tighten, loosen, twist them, change the direction, all that good stuff. Um, we give them the power to do that because the sails are huge. And so they're under quite a bit of tension. So it's not like, oh, I want to pull the sail a little bit tighter. I'm just going to grab this rope with my hand. Like you just can't do that. There's so there's so much tension on the system. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Okay, so you wanted to join this team. At first, you didn't make it onto the team. Like back in January, you thought you were going to have to like program a whole cycling season, and then suddenly you get the call in what April that now you're 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 on the team. How does that feel? Like, talk me through the emotions that go with that because that's got to be like a pretty roller coastery few months. Yeah, it was um, because yeah, I got the call at like the end of May. Um, that you know they didn't have a spot for me on the team and um the way we kind of left it was like oh you know if you still want to keep training for this um there might be some more spots that open up in october like we'd love to have you about a part of the team and i was like yes like this is probably one of the coolest things i've ever done it was i got to go and be a part of the team in pensacola when they were training down there in like december of 2022 i think um and just absolutely loved it and so i was like yeah this is like the best team i've ever been a part of this is an incredible opportunity of course i want to do it and so that's kind of where i left it it was like you know i have um a unique cycling knowledge that has helped the team quite a bit um i've been able to to share some of that with 
with the team as they get excited about cycling and and learn more about that. Um, and yeah, just you know, my my power is is about the same level as some of the other guys. Um, so it worked out that they needed some more people to come out in Barcelona, and then they called me in right before Sea Otter, and they were like, "Hey, you know, we're packing up the base in Pensacola." And, uh, we also, you know, can you come out and stay in Barcelona until October of 2024? I was like, Whoa, yes. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> but that's also what kind of like, what kind of got me this position was, um, just kind of that willingness to be like, yeah, this is an incredible opportunity, um, and make other stuff fit around that. Cause like mm-hmm. there are ways to make it work. Um, it's all about like what your, what the priority is. Yeah. And I feel like that's been so much of your last couple of years is this like, here's this opportunity. I'm going to go for it and like figure it out. And I think that you like you say that willingness is really like why you've been sort of successful in like being able to navigate all of these sort of different uh, modalities. I think so. I mean, I think um, like trusting my experience and my abilities and also like, uh, you know, uh, I think being able to prepare for it and try to have an awareness of what problems could come up um, and using available resources, preparing for it the best that I can. And then also being like able to change things on the fly. Like all of those are huge um, for tackling like unknown adventures. And I think there's a lot of similarities between that of like moving to Spain for a year and also riding a thousand miles. Like it's all the same skill set. You just keep extending these timelines. First, it's like sub four minutes, then it's a thousand miles, then it's, uh, you know, 15 months. Seems like you might yeah. really enjoy like a long lead out. I don't know. <laughs> I do. I do. I like a big, long adventure because it gives you more time to like, you know, while you're in that that liminal space of adventure, it gives you more time to like explore it and see what it's all about, which I think is fun. I love that because I think so many people want to do the big goal race like this year right now so like my context for that is in june i you know did the leadville trail marathon and qualified for the leadville 100 and you could choose do you want to do leadville 2023 so like you know next week or leadville 2024 and i was like i'd so much rather do 2024 because that's like a whole year i have like to prepare with like on the practical side to prepare but also like that's a whole year I get to dedicate to this cool thing instead of just trying to like get it done so I can check it off the list. I don't know. I'd rather Yeah, that's not the point. Like checking things off the list isn't really the point, I think. No, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So what does training, what's, what's training look like for this? Because I'm absolutely baffled by what, what this could possibly look like. Um, honestly, it's not that much different. Um, I mean, like, you know, we still, we go out and get long rides in sometimes. We have intervals that we do indoors. Um, and we do gym, you know, two or three times a week. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it changes based on, like, the weather and the sailing. Um, sometimes they'll need extra hands, like, out on the boat um, when we're doing um, different sailing drills and all that kind of stuff. So if we have to do that, that changes the ride schedule. Um, if it's raining, if it's too windy, if it's not windy enough, like all that stuff can can kind of change it. But mm-hmm. um, otherwise, the training is not that different. Like it's you know everyone rides bikes to put out more power. Like that's the goal. That's why we all train. So mm-hmm. it's like it's kind of just the same stuff, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. What are your teammates like? Like what are all of their sport backgrounds? I- I think I read like the original people that did it were more like in the rugby side of things, like back in like yeah. New Zealand stuff. Yeah. So that's, they picked like upper body dominated sports when it was like an upper body hand crank thing. Um, like rugby, kayaking, football players, like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And now it's pretty much any sport that's, that's lower body dominated. Um, so there's a few cyclers and then just other like different aerobic lower body dominant sports. Okay. You you can cut this, but I'm being vague because I don't I don't know if I'm allowed to share that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. That yeah. adds a it's, okay. it adds a mystery to the whole uh the whole thing. 
the whole, I mean, I think I told you about this, but the whole sport is like quite secretive, which is cool. Kind of no, it's super neat. I mean, it's, I feel like in cycling, cycling tries to be super secretive, but we're all so bad at keeping secrets that everyone pretty much knows everything anyway. Um, well, except for some of the, some of the stuff, but, uh, you know, for the most part, if a bike yeah. like, brand is trying to bring out a new bike, like, come on, we all have known about it for like a year. Sure. Everyone's <laughs> seen the SLA for months. Yeah, exactly. I think like, the cycling industry really likes a soft launch. Yeah. 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 <laughs> they say they want to keep it top secret, but it's like top secret where they're like, oh, like, oh, I, I didn't mean to be riding this in front of you. I'm so sorry. How embarrassing. Please don't. Don't take that picture. Definitely take that picture. <laughs> Whereas this seems yeah, much exactly. more like let's keep this under wraps, which I love. And For I sure they are. Big time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to make the Netflix documentary harder, though. It's going to be going to be a hurdle for the the film team i feel like i'm just Probably. i'm starting the i'm starting the rumor that there's going to be a drive to survive for america's cup just to see if it'll happen or at least I so think that it'd way be cool if there that was way i'm the first that called like, it right i think you should be yeah yeah you heard it here first folks <laughs> <laughs> okay here's my question you are one of the like chillest like most relaxed humans like in your general demeanor and like hanging out with you but you are also so relentlessly driven in pursuit of these goals how do you sort of mm. hold those two identities and like keep balance like i feel like so many people would just go so deep on the relentless pursuit of goals or be so chill that they never really hit said goals you've somehow managed to find that sweet spot between the two how Man, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think I'm pretty intense, like, like during the goal when it happens. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that, like, part of my success in finding the goals is being flexible um, and also pursuing those goals. Like, I think every time I've had a major win or, like, a big goal, like, something has not gone according to plan. And mm -hmm. um, I think being able to be flexible about that is like what continues to breed success. If you're you're always on the lookout for it and like always on the lookout for, um, you know, ways to keep pushing yourself. Um, so, I mean, like, for example, like, I don't think any of the individual pursuit stuff would have gone nearly as well if I would have made it to the Olympics, if the team pursuit team would have qualified. Mm -hmm. um like when we didn't qualify for the olympics like i was crushed i was super super bummed um and that was a huge letdown like that was three years of my life like dedicated day in day out to that mm -hmm. and i would let myself be really disappointed for a while and then i was like well on the plus side you know i went and did some races with food bot bike um really delved into the individual pursuit and uh got second at worlds later that year and then came back to win worlds after covid and after the sub four minute thing and i don't think any of that would have been possible if i was like busy preparing for the olympics right like that not not making it to the olympics gave me the bandwidth to do that um yeah. which was huge I love that because you're not denying that it hurt when you didn't like when the team didn't qualify, because I think like so many times we try to reframe things for the the positive and kind of ignore the negative or like kind of downplay it. So I think it's you can hold both of those feelings, right? Like you can be disappointed that the team didn't make it, but also totally. recognize that like, oh, here's like it opened up this opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. same with with the ultra. Like, I think if if I would have made the sailing team right away and, um, you know, not and had to go to Pensacola right away, I wouldn't have been able to go do the ultra. And instead, you know, I got the opportunity to do this, this, the longest ride I've ever done. Um, and I think that's something like even beginner side, like I remember as a 15 year old, like being super stoked when I did my first century ride. And now it's like, I'm still going out trying to do the longest ride I've ever done. Mm -hmm. um, and I wouldn't have had that opportunity if I would have made the sailing team right away, which sucks. Like not making the sailing team sucks. Yeah. Um, 
but so, now here you are. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> now here I am. It all worked out. And so I think if like you get set, you get too set on a a specific end goal, um, I think you can like lose lose an opportunity to lose an opportunity to like see other goals that could also potentially be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even being able to take what you got in the pursuit of that goal and move it into like a different version of it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so good. Okay. Last thing I wanted to ask you about. Uh, yeah. You're, mar- you're married to a freaking astronaut. Uh, best thing that like, that that has taught you and you and I have talked about risk risk assessment. And I mean, that can definitely be where we go with this. Um, but if there's any other thoughts you have, I'm also open to that. <laughs> yeah. I've been thinking about this one. Um, I think like having both of us uh, in like kind of high performance, I would say non-traditional jobs. Yes. Um, I would non-traditional say both of those careers, are, Yep. Yep. Is like it's something that really allows us to like connect and bond over, and like we really get to share the adventure with each other. Um, and mm-hmm. it's not. I think it's like it's such a a fun, balanced relationship because it's not like, oh, well, one person's doing this adventure and the other person's just supporting. Like mm-hmm. we both get to support and experience adventures at the same time, um, which is which is fantastic. Um, and so I think I think also, you know, her career, um, there's a lot to being an astronaut. And it's just like it's such a broad area of expertise or like a broad area of study in so many different areas. I don't, and I'm not phrasing that right, but she has to learn a ton of different things. Um, and I think like her being able to make those connections of like, oh, well, if I learn this in this one thing, like it kind of applies to this other area and this is how it impacts this. And being able to see this like non-traditional career as this sort of network of interdisciplinary um, like studies has really helped me with viewing my own cycling career, which I would say is quite non-traditional. Um, mm-hmm and viewing how all those pieces fit together and like, oh, well, could I draw from my experience this in this area? Does this also apply to this problem I'm facing right now? Mm -hmm. Um, And just like having a a broader perspective in problems like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I imagine when, you know, your, your goal is to be in outer space, you don't get a much broader perspective than that. So it would be almost impossible for you to not have some of that rub off. Yeah. The risk assessment thing, though, is huge because we've talked about that several times. She's on um, a big backpacking trip right now. Ooh, and nice. we we talked several times about like how how much fun it is and how like uh, empowering it is to feel like you're your own little self-supported spaceship and like you have everything you need on your back, on your bike, on your person. And you're just cruising around the planet, like experiencing stuff. Um, and that's, I love that feeling um, when I'm out like bike touring or going on long rides or crazy rides. Um, that is like one of my all time favorite feelings of just being like, yep, I've got my Dynamo Hub with my USB charger and a GPS tracker and bags for food and a ton of water and Google Translate and like, I can really see a lot of stuff. And if I get, if I take a wrong turn or I get stuck somewhere, like I can figure out how to take the train back. I I know where food is. I know where water is. Like I, and, you know, having everything I need for a self-contained adventure like that is just such a huge, super fun feeling. And she gets to do it in a literal spaceship someday. <laughs> like, on a backpacking trip and all these other cool and every time she's in a jet like all that stuff for those little self-contained adventures is it's fun for us to share that together i i really that's a cool thing to think about sometimes oh my god i'm living for the idea of being our own little self-contained spaceships 
while on the bike or hiking or doing it. That is maybe my new favorite visualization I have ever heard. That's amazing. Yeah, because there's only like so many things you need to survive. <laughs> I think people sometimes get attached to creature comforts. Um, I mean, I get attached to creature comforts sometimes. Um, but it is nice to remind yourself that like you can live without a lot of them. And then they feel like comforts instead of necessities when you're done with the, your little self-contained adventure. Mm-hmm. Okay, that leads to final questions. Just like, how much do you miss your cat right now? Come on. Gosh, I do. I do miss our cats. We have three cats. Uh, their names are uh, Merlin, Tugi, and Paul. Um, yeah, I miss them and I miss Chris a lot. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that I would be it. the I... hardest part of this adventure for me. Like the idea of not being with my, my like I, I can take or leave Peter, but like, and he'll listen to this, he'll hear me say <laughs> that. But like, if I'm like, even Sea Otter, when I was like four days away from DW, I was like FaceTiming him. So I yeah. can't even fathom. <laughs> I get a chat with them sometimes um, when they're around and, and Chris is at home. <laughs> and uh, yeah, gosh, they're really cute. Yeah. You need like a, a lot stuffed of... cat or something that you can like just awkwardly pet while you're doing computer work and stuff. It's funny because I find myself like, like sometimes I will like, while well, I made a, I made a pizza last night and like I took my pizza out of the oven and then let it cool down while I went and like packed my clothes for the next day. And I was like, oh, I can't put my pizza out on the counter. Tuki's got to eat it. And I was like, he's not here. He's not going to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like little things like that that I catch myself and I'm like oh no I can just leave food on the counter now <laughs> oh my gosh yep 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 <laughs> yeah so stuff like that yeah stuff like that makes me yeah. miss them they're cute yes oh man okay before we go tell everyone where they can follow along and you know keep up with uh things as they get released on the sailing team and all of your adventures with that yeah, Instagram is good. Um, you can follow me at Bahama Longbottom or the American Magic Sailing Team Instagram. Um, okay, I lied. Long... I have one more question. The Bahama Longbottom name. Where, what is yeah, that? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that. So I worked at Sunflower Outdoor and Bike Shop um, in Lawrence, Kansas, for a few years, and the system we used there was that you every time you did something on a bike, you would initial it and date it. And so, like, whoever's whoever date-wise was the last initial, if you were like, hey, what's the deal with this bike? You would go find that person. It was a good system. Like, anytime someone had a question about what the situation was anywhere, your name and date was on it, and they could come find you. You're the last person that worked on it. Hey, what's up with this? Okay. Um, and you would do it for, like, things you did, like, action items, like, called, left a message, 88 Um. And so a buddy of mine, Andy White, was working there. And it was like right when I just started. And then everyone was like, oh, does anyone know what this Ashton guy's last name is? And Andy was like, oh, I don't know. It's probably something stupid like Longbottom. And so Longbottom stuck for a while. And then I really like, I really just like wearing Hawaiian shirts. Like I have quite a few and I wear them. I wore them at work all the time because it was very hot. In it does explain summer. why you're now sponsored by Gooder Sunglasses, yes? It's a big vibe. Yeah, big time. Um, yeah, and so I really like Hawaiian shirts. I wore them every day. And so it uh, quickly, you know, through Andy's creative genius, became Bahama Long Bottom. And that's still my Instagram handle. Yeah. That is a solid roundabout Instagram handle story. I love it. Yeah. I should also add, um, I feel like I'm very excited. Gooder sponsors this podcast now. And I feel like I'm like their gothiest person that they sponsor. So I'm like, uh, I that's, that's like my, my little designation is like, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> send me all the black pairs, please. <laughs> you black sure you don't so want the color ones? ones? And I'm like, I do not. But I, like, I think people do not realize that they have fantastic all black ones that are great. And it's funny because those <laughs> I usually I I hit up Gooder like every couple months for like two pairs of all black and two pairs of the tortoise shell. And that's like that's what I wear 99% of the time. Yeah, yeah. Because they go There's with everything. Good. Tortoise. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So there there you have it. <laughs> yeah. Gooder's awesome. Ah, oh, so good. So yeah, oh Bahama Long Bottom. Um 
American Magic is the, the team name. You can follow them or the America's Cup. They also have an Instagram page where you can see all the other teams. Um, and then the Jukebox Cycling Blog, obviously. Yeah. Naturally. Awesome. We'll get oh, that Ashton, stuff up on there. I'm so glad we got to do this. This has been so much fun. So many different uh, different avenues we've gone down. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for chatting, Molly. Good to chat with you. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox.